This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by EasyRollerDice.com for when you want to up your dice game. And listeners like you who support us at Patreon.com slash The Tome Show or shopping using our DMs Guild or our Amazon affiliate links. Welcome to Gamer to Gamer. I'm your host, Jeff Greiner. Once a month, I interview a member of the gaming community because gamers are awesome and the world needs more awesome. With me for this episode of Gamer to Gamer is Mike Schley. Hey. Yeah. So, <laughs> Good to join. So, so whether people know you or not, they're definitely familiar with your work, especially if they've picked up any D&D book in the last, like, several years uh, that contains any map at all, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so Mike is an artist and a cartographer uh, who has sort of redefined the realms and other locations for us, like Barovia. Uh, but you've got some pretty serious art chops as well, so uh, you got a lot going on for you. Thank you. I've, uh, I I try and keep busy. Yeah. <laughs> between uh, bet- between um, RPGs and um, publishers like HarperCollins and Scholastic um, and uh, games, uh, mobile games like Sorcery, uh, the Sorcery mm-hmm. series by Ankle. Yeah, I'm a, a pretty busy, uh, pretty busy fellow you, right now. You got to make ends meet, right? Yeah. So at the end of the, at the towards the end of the episode, we're gonna have our lightning round. We'll see if he can beat the current best time. Uh, but first, Mike, who is Mike Schley? Ah, well, Mike <laughs> Schley. <laughs> uh, let's see. Many many moons ago, um, I, I actually started working in the gaming industry back around 2000 for a uh, company called Decipher. Mm-hmm. Um, I was living in Virginia at the time where I was born, and uh, I started, basically I was leaving my undergraduate program, I was trained as a studio artist, um, as a traditional fine artist, I did, you know, I studied for years, um, I think my first, my first formal art class, my first formal drawing class was, um, I think I was around eight years old, every Saturday my mom would take me to this class at the local university, and I'd draw for five hours, with folks that were old enough to be my parents or grandparents. <laughs> um, so I got uh, not only an education in uh, art, but also an education in life and the things that grown-ups talk about behind, uh, you know, when the kids normally aren't there. So that was a great experience. Mm-hmm. And I studied art in high school. Um, I went to uh, uh, the Governor's School for the Arts in Virginia, which is a great program, um, and then followed that up with an undergraduate degree. Um, so when I went to Decipher in 2000, I was working as a, um, designer for their trading card games. Um, we basically produced, uh, trading card games for Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, Lord of the Rings, um, Austin Powers. It was primarily sort of focused around licensed properties, um, and building great games off of them. Um, I worked there for a couple of, for two or three years, uh, left there to go work for um, Paizo Publishing. Um, since then, Decipher's uh, no longer around. Um, that's a whole other story. But um, once I started working for Paizo, um, at the time, they were still just focusing on the print versions of Dragon and Dungeon Magazine. Mm-hmm. They hadn't developed um, Pathfinder yet. So uh, myself and Sarah Robinson, under um, under their uh, art director at the time um, and uh, their editorial staff, 
we were tasked with redeveloping the look and feel of both Dragon and Dungeon magazines oh, wow. for their uh, print, uh, for their print ber- versions. So when that so just a small project came out, yeah, just yeah. a little project <laughs> redesigning classic uh, iconic just, magazines. No, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just right into the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but Sarah and I uh, really worked together. She's um, still, I think, the head of uh, their art department um, over there right now, But um, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, we focused on that, um, and uh, I did that. I worked as, a, as the associate art director for, um, for about two years under uh, Sean Glenn. Sean Glenn was the main art director for both dragon and dungeon he'd get basically he'd get the cover artwork and then sarah would do all the interior um Mm. layout and design work for each magazine for dragon and i would do all the layout and design work for dungeon um what that meant was that every month on a you know monthly basis i was scrambling to find artists and cartographers Mm -hmm. that you know could do work for us i was going to say being uh being the person who was working on Dungeon as opposed to Dragon meant uh, you worked a lot more with maps than she did. I, I, I wonder if that laid some foundations for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, one of the things that I found, and I was working with guys like Chris West and Robert Lazaretti, um, a number of folks that were you know really active as uh, cartographers, but there really weren't that many whose work was you know really up to snuff um, at the time. And uh, I was always frustrated every month um, because, you know, my stable of, uh, of folks to pull from was really small. And I ended up uh, doing a couple of projects myself just because I didn't have anybody that was available that could do it in the short amount of time mm-hmm. and at the quality that I was looking for. Um, after, uh, after about a year or two of that, um, Robert Lazaretti, who was working as the uh, art director uh, or as the cartography department director for uh, D&D. He was still working in-house over there at the time when mm-hmm. they had artists in-house. Um, he sent me a job because uh, he knew I uh, did maps. And um, I think that was a ru- it was a rush job. And I had to do, I think, like 40 maps within a month. Um, and I did it. <laughs> um, it was the first, uh, it was the first big, you know, Exterior project that, uh, for at least map making. Project. Are you talking like world maps or, or battle maps or, or what kind of uh, maps? mostly battle uh, battle maps? Okay. It was for a project, and I'm embarrassed to even mention it now. Um, Weapons of Legacy. <laughs> okay. This was years ago. I think it, yeah, I think it was 2005 uh, mm. or 2006 when that came out. Uh, 2005, I think. Anyways, um, since then, I uh, I think the first really big sort of mega adventure project I worked on was Red Hand of Doom after that and then um, and I worked on a couple of um, smaller uh, adventures and supplements uh, around the same time but ever since then I've been doing maps for D&D um, full time at least you know at, at this point it's down to about two um, two projects a year just because they've limited how many um, right I mean, books two, they, they publish and two projects a year. That's about every, all the maps they need, right? Yeah, that's about all <laughs> so. the maps they need. <laughs> um, but like you know, sometimes those books um, include multiple dozens of really large, really detailed uh, mm-hmm. maps. So, and you know, I have 
you know, reputation for putting a lot of time into the work. So I really try and limit how many projects I accept just mm -hmm. because I don't want to produce, I don't want to create something that I'm not proud of at this point. And mm -hmm. if I can't sort of push the boundaries of each project that I work on, not just the artwork, but how that project can be used to make the game more enjoyable, then like that's uh, that's my end goal. If, mm -hmm. for instance, I can figure out a way to get high-res digital files into the hands of GMs so that they can play on top of the maps that previously were just in the books, then you know that's what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. If I can figure out how to make PDF projects that have a much wider application, whether you know you want to print and tile them out or if you want to uh, use them in VTTs. Um, Virtual tabletops for people who don't know. Yeah, yeah. sorry about that. No, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, um, figuring out ways to make the tabletop experience more enjoyable and um, uh, you know faceted with more ways of making that uh, that mutual storytelling experience more pleasurable. Mm -hmm. I guess. So, yeah. so that that's a lot. Uh, that's a, that's a, that's a, an extensive journey that you've gone on in a relatively short period of time. Uh, but it starts with you taking art classes at eight years old. Uh, mm -hmm. and, it, and it sounds like that's the beginning of your, your journey as an artist. Yeah. Um, how, how does that happen? <laughs> how does, how does, how do your parents end up to put you, deciding to put you in a, in an art class at eight years old that's full of adults? Well, my um, my teacher at the time um, basically called my mother and told her that I was basically doing drawings of everything that was in uh, in my classroom at the time. Spent doing at least you know for an eight year old really uh, you know really detailed um, drawings that you know she was she was at least impressed by and um, encouraged my mom to put me into her classes. Um, and you know, I I loved it. Like if if I could spend all day drawing, you know, at the time I would. I spend all day drawing now. Um, it, and it's been you know not to date myself too much, but it's been well over thirty years that my, I mean maybe a couple of years in my early twenties, um, maybe not. But um, ever since then, I've been drawing every day for you know a full time schedule um, ever since. Um, and in addition to me doing work for uh, D&D and, um, you know, book publishers, game publishers, my own personal project, I've also gone back to school full time in a master's of fine arts program here. In, uh, I live here in Philadelphia. So on top of everything else, mm -hmm. um, I'm really pushing myself um, in in ways that are outside of my comfort zone, I guess, which, you know, is something that I'm. Uh, you know, really, it's a regular, it's a regular preoccupation for me. Um, so is the goal simply that you want to become a better artist or is there a, yeah, a place that yeah, you want I, to take your, your professional career with, with your, your continued studies? Um, it's to become a better artist. You know, I, what I do right now, I absolutely love. I wouldn't change it for the world. I always want to be pushing myself further, though, as far as my capabilities, the way that I think about uh, the artwork that I make, um, how I make it. The reason that I went back to school was essentially to think about the um, think about what I'm making, why I'm making it, 
and how I'm making it. Um, and that combines, you know, digital techniques, traditional techniques, but also conceptual ideas that I'm uh, that I'm thinking about. The fact that in role-playing games, um, typically around a tabletop, you have multiple individuals sharing this intersubjective experience, where essentially the story is being told in collaboration um, around a tabletop that's divided into five-foot squares, and each. Each of those squares is essentially a measurement of your personal space and how you interact with the world. Mm -hmm. So ideas of how we interact with space around us, how we build narrative through mutual experience, um, all of those are incredibly interesting to me. And in addition to my commercial work as an illustrator and cartographer, I also think about those things when I'm doing massive paintings. Um, I have an idea for my end of uh, end of the year, or not end of the year, end of my uh, MFA show that may incorporate a painting that's 15 feet tall by 25 feet wide, gridded into literally five foot modules, uh, hmm. five foot squares. Um, now it it's not necessarily a map, but that idea of the span of an individual reach in relation to images or experiences that are made up of multiple parts, like multiple subjective experiences, like multiple people around a table telling a story together. Um, that's really fascinating to me. Although if it was a map and it was sitting next to, say, a giant mural of a dragon, you could get some serious LARPing in. <laughs> that would be some hell, hell awesome larping. That'd be, yeah, some dual purpose art here, right? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Very good. So, so, so it's 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 you trying to achieve some some personal growth. It's not a uh, it's not you trying to say, hey, next time Watsi needs an art director. Try to, no, try to advance your career in that way. No, I, I, you know, the reason that I left art directing was because it was a managerial position. Mm. And I'm not a, pay, you know, I'm not, a, nothing against art I love my art directors. <laughs> nothing against them, but I just wouldn't want to, I, I didn't enjoy the position of sending projects off to other artists when I really wanted to work on the project yeah. myself, you know. Um, so, it, yeah, going back to school is not... It's not yes, a career decision. It's not a career move. It's an artistic move. It's something to, like, I I want to be the absolute best artist that I personally can be. And um, going back to school for me is a way to really push myself to uh, to develop and get better. Okay. So, so that you, makes sense. yeah, absolutely. So you, you got into art, um, um, you were... A talented doodler in, as an eight-year-old, mm. eight right? And, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah. your teacher sort of uh, suggested that you explore this, and your mom uh, was helpful in making that happen. Yep. And then you, you, you went on to continue to, to study art, and you went to school, and you got degrees. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and yet somehow, like you talked about working on with this card game company and then transitioning mm -hmm. from there over to Paizo. Uh, how, how does that happen? How do you end up at a, at a card game company who's making big licenses or dealing with big licenses and what have you and then moving over to, to working in D&D? &D? Like how do these transitions take place? Well, that was um... – I guess that was by sheer 
sheer accident that um, then ended up working for Decipher at least. Um, I was in my senior year at uh, Old Dominion University in, um, in Virginia, and Decipher was located in the same city. But I really wasn't familiar with it until, you know, I'm ready to leave school and I'm wondering, mm. what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> like, yeah. I know I would always been really interested in illustration and in storytelling um, and design. But uh, I happened to find out that Decipher was, you know, had a had its main office right down the road from uh, from where I was at. And by hook or by crook, I convinced the art director, um, a fellow named Dan, to uh, give me a shot. Um, I told them that I, I really I knew Photoshop well, even though I didn't know it that well. Mm -hmm. um, but I spent like a uh, about a week before um, before starting, just really, I I would say twenty hours a day, just drilling myself in Photoshop um, and working with a tablet. And uh, you know, I, I was able to translate my traditional skills into a digital um, work, workflow. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of been the hallmark of what I do at this point is that even though like, I, I sketch all, for my maps, for instance, um, I sketch everything out on paper some of the time, but a lot of the times I'm just sort of exploring and drawing my maps in Photoshop as I'm doing the inks. So I have a general idea, like, you know, I may have a general idea of where buildings and, you know, forest edges go, but when I'm down in it, um, essentially I'm, I'm creating them as I'm drawing them, um, if that makes sense. It gives me, one of the reasons that I love map making so much is that I have that sense of exploration and discovery in the process of making them. Um, and that honestly goes back to childhoods around the same time that I started, um, you know, doing drawings in my classroom and taking classes at school. Um, I was, you know, doing little tactical maps and of uh, my neighborhood and going out with sketchbooks into uh, into the woods and trying to document and discover things as as I'm drawing them. Um, I kind of think that I was born maybe 200 years or 300 years too late. I should have been, you know, a traditional uh, explorer out in the middle of nowhere charting uh, charting new paths to the Indies or um, in, uh, in South America or somewhere. Um, actually, I have an ancestor that was a cartographer for the Dutch East India Company oh, wow. um, back in the 1600s, uh, Jan Vanderschlei. Um, I don't know a whole lot. You can Google him, but um, yeah, it was just. But, a, but it runs in your blood. Yeah, apparently, I didn't realize. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't realize that until a couple of couple of years back. I was googling Schlei, and all these maps started coming up that were done a long time ago. <laughs> cool. So. Very good. Yeah, I guess it does run in the blood. Yeah. So so. You end up just by luck of getting a job um, with Decipher, and then from there you you transition over to, to Paizo. I assume it was just sort mm -hmm. of the traditional. They they posted an opening. You you sent in a, a resume or portfolio or whatever. No, they didn't post an opening. I just sort of lucked into that position as well. In that um, I was looking for something more. 
you know, I, I was sort of seeing that, you know, there were some managerial things going on at the Cypher that I, you know, just didn't, um, didn't know about or didn't really um, feel comfortable with. So I decided to move on. And I was looking for uh, looking for jobs. Um, I wanted. I really, really. They they'd worked on the Lord of the Rings role playing game, and I really, really enjoyed the maps that were mm. produced for that. I didn't sure. have a hand, them, but I loved sort of pouring over them. Um, so one of the things that I really started focusing on was um, becoming part of the role playing game industry. And um, I sent a um, essentially I, I sent a blind email to uh, Sean Glenn over at Paizo. And he got back to me immediately because um, he had lost out on a uh, Origins Award to me for the design work done on Lord of the... Like, I did the design work on Lord of the Rings, and he did the design work on another game that's escaping my memory right now. But he remembered my name from, or he remembered, you know, Decipher and me as uh, part of the design team responsible for that game. And so, um, yeah, it immediately got an interview and it worked out great. Mm -hmm. um, they, they brought me in as a designer, but they uh, um, gave me the title of associate art director within a couple of weeks. So, Very good. Yeah. So, so a couple more art questions and then i want to get into some some gaming specific things although sure. there's definitely some overlap there uh what is it about art and cartography that you that you particularly enjoy what's i mean you're you're spending a lot more time and energy and thought into your maps than than most of the people who are consuming your maps uh, are doing right so you must enjoy it what is it about uh, the art and the cartography work that that you enjoy so the thing that the thing that really compels me is storytelling, both um, visually and verbally. And the thing about maps that are that's really striking to me is that they serve as, at least when you've got a good map on the table, it serves as a springboard for, or it can serve as a springboard for the um, for the GM and the players to really sort of invest themselves in the world and lose themselves into the world. So. Mm -hmm me creating these worlds that um, I have just as much fun making as hopefully people have looking at and pouring over on the tabletop. Um, there's, there, there's a really deep sense of um, personal appreciation or just personal enjoyment in, uh, in making the work. So, and it's another, another reason or another thing that really compels me to put as much into making sure that the imagery comes out you know as as effectively as possible one of the big things is that of all of the artwork that goes into a role-playing game into a book typically if you've got a good map that's laid out as the tabletop that's the thing that people are looking at more than anything else mm. so if the story is going to be supported by imagery, then that's the imagery that I really want to put everything into. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, if I'm if I'm running an adventure, I might reference a, a piece of art once uh, mm -hmm. of, of like a portrait of a character or a monster or whatever, but I will reference that map. You know, every single time they go into a new room, I'm, I'm, I'm referencing that map and I've got my eyes on that map a lot. Absolutely. Um, and if it's, you know, uh, waterproof, um, like if it's a play mat that you can keep out mm -hmm. over, the, over the course of the uh, adventure, I mean, that's 
that's going to be there for the entire time that yeah. you're at least in that encounter location. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if it's a big world map, um, I absolutely, like folks are constantly sending me uh, photos of their game rooms and they've got all these beautiful maps um, printed out all over the walls. And that reminds me of when I was a kid collecting uh, National Geographic foldout hmm. maps. Um, and how I, it reminds me of how much fun I had just kind of exploring those maps in my own bedroom. Mm-hmm. Or, you know. um, so that kind of encouragement to do the best job that I can, um, yeah, is I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I've, mm-hmm. got, I've got the best job in the world. So, you know, why would I want to be an art director? <laughs> there you go. There you go. And so, I, so. Uh, it's, it's mostly fun. It's mostly great. It's the best job in the world. Uh, but certainly, over the course of your your career of of working with what hundreds of different pieces of art, uh, thousands. thousands, thousands of different pieces of art. Uh, yeah. Certainly, there have been some some craziness that has come up. Right? What, what are some of the what, what's what's the most challenging thing you've had to do, or request you've had to fulfill as uh, as an artist? Huh. Let me think about what I can <laughs> what I can say and not um, not talk out of school too much. Um, there have been projects where the deadline. So I've never really had. You know, I I hear horror stories about folks that work with clients that end up being um, terrible clients. But I can honestly say that the vast majority. I, I would say that, yeah, the vast majority, and I mean by, by vast, I mean like 99% of the clients that I've worked with, um, the, the projects, you know, have turned out really well. Um, and I can't, you know, say that I have a terrible client, but that's mainly due to me being very selective about the clients that mm-hmm. I work with um, and having those large corporation or not large corporations well they are corporations but um having personal relationships with art directors mm. at much larger corporations whose checks don't bounce or who you know pay on time um that being said i have had checks get lost in the mail not due in part or not due to any shenanigans on the mm. client's side but just due to red tape and part of being such a large uh corporate entity stuff gets lost Uh, in the in the shuffle yeah and that especially hurts when it's around christmas time and it's tens of thousands of dollars because you've been working on the project for months and Mm -hmm. months you know um so stuff like that is you know being being uh being an independent artist there's always this sort of feast famine cycle um but as you as you grow and progress and um, are in the business uh, longer, you know, you, at, at least in my experience, um, things become easier and you have fewer, uh, fewer hiccups. Um, you learn how you learn how to how to manage that money a little bit so that it, the when it's feast time, you can stretch it to fill in the famine time a little bit. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure. I, I mean, I'm not in a feast famine mode. Like I haven't been in a feast famine mode for years. But right. when I was first starting out. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes there would be slow, uh, slow months and you spend as much time looking for work as you do making work. Sure. So, um, so any, any crazy art orders that you've received and you're like, what, what, what is this, what's going on here? Oh, <laughs> sort of things. Oh yeah. Ab- um, absolutely. Like, uh, I would say that 
I would say that anything that uh, deals with um, weird, you know, planar portals or things that don't make sense in space, if, if I can uh, say that, are always um, really challenging. Okay, okay, here's a great example. So this map came out beautifully by the end of it, and I was absolutely thrilled. But the initial art order was incredibly difficult just to parse out as to how these buildings fit in space. And that was for, um, I did an isometric uh, map of Skullport underneath uh, Waterdeep. Are you familiar with yeah. Scott Rollins generally? Yes, okay. and, and, and I still don't exactly understand in my head how Skullport works, so please explain. <laughs> <laughs> So essentially, it's a city built into a cavern, but it's on three separate levels. So you have um, buildings sort of stacked on top of one another throughout the space. And uh, so in order to illustrate that in a single view that was you know, somewhat readable, <clears throat> essentially, I had to take each of those slices of the city into Photoshop. And I don't use 3D um, graphics for my isometrics. Um, essentially, I'll take a flat footprint of the uh, space, lay it out in perspective as if it were sort of a flat footprint of the buildings on a receding plane. And then I'll essentially freehand everything off of that um, either city design footprint or building footprint or whatever it happens to be. So imagine three stacks all in perspective of an entire city inside of a cavern um, and trying to, how to illustrate that or how to draw that so that you can see where the streets are and not have buildings obscuring <laughs> one another so much that you just can't see anything. Mm -hmm. um, that was incredibly difficult. Um, as far as the sheer amount of work, though, I would say the Menzo map <laughs> of, you know, mm. set in the Underdark, that was a huge, huge project to work on. And I got it done on, done on time, and I, you know, I had plenty of time, but, man, I was putting in a lot of hours. It was a good map. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I remember, I remember speaking uh, highly of it when it came out, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, that's honestly one of my favorites. Um, even uh, even now, after all these years, hmm. um, I think the the most difficult thing about being an illustrator, being a freelancer in general, is um, just how much time you can wind up spending on work on projects. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, my my wife is always getting on me and reminding me that it's time to quit work <laughs> and come. <laughs> You know, let's go out for a walk or uh, go to dinner or something. So, Very yeah, good. Yes. Yeah. So, so I imagine one of the things <clears throat> that you're doing when you're not working uh, is that you, I imagine, are a gamer. Yes, I am. Okay. So, so um, we we sort of followed your story as an artist. Mm -hmm. um, but how did you get into D and D? Not like doing work for D and D, but how did you get into the game? Well, I, I started playing D&D when I was, again, in, uh, in grade school. Um, I remember breaking out the red box and uh, a friend of mine and I just drawing. <laughs> the, th the thing is, you know, I played a lot of D&D, &D, but I had mo the most fun drawing the maps for D&D, &D, even when I was like <laughs> 11, 12 years old. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I played a lot when I was uh, when I was younger. I kind of didn't have as much time to play it uh, in my 
early 20s and then um, I got back into gaming uh, later on in my 30s um, and uh, I used to when I was working at Paizo um, uh, the owner of Paizo Lisa uh, she used to run a uh, RPG it basically was 3.5 uh, mm-hmm. before uh, before Paizo started publishing Pathfinder we were running a D&D game or she was running a D&D game um, and we I think for God, the better portion of two years um, while I was uh, while I was over there, I would go over to her place weekly. And uh, then a great friend of mine, um, Ben Morn, uh, DM'd a game that I would host over to my over at my house um, every Sunday night. So we did that with about a half dozen friends of ours for mm-hmm. about three years um, up until I moved to Philadelphia. Unfortunately, I haven't had a whole lot of time recently. Mm. To, um, to play just because between work and a full-time school schedule, my so, wife... So you have no, you have no current game group? Um, I have a... I've been invited to a game group at Gamers Vault out in uh, New Jersey, which is about 20, 20 minutes from uh, where I live. Mm-hmm. I have not had a chance to get out there uh, yet, though, but I have done a number of uh, book signings, and the guys over there are fantastic, so... Once um, my current project kind of slows down and I have a moment to breathe, the first thing I'm doing is getting into uh, getting go. back into a game session. Uh, go roll some dice. Hmm? Go yeah. roll some dice. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, I miss it. So. Right on. So you said that you first started playing in elementary school, and you and mm-hmm. a friend with the red box and all that. Mm-hmm. How does an elementary school kid get the red box put in their hands, though? How did that happen? <laughs> Uh, there was a uh, th- there was a local uh, comic book and game shop um, down the street, and I don't know if you know I don't know if um, Toys R Us still carries D and D. They used to they used to carry D and D modules back in the eighties, um, and there was a Toys R Us down the street from uh, where my grandmother lived. So every time I'd go over to my grandmother's house, I'd you know hustle over to uh, the uh, to that store to see if they had anything new out. Um, and you know, at the time, I think um, Volo, the Volo's guides, and the um, mm. uh, there were a lot of uh, sort of um, projects that included some of the cartography that I kind of between those and um, Tolkien's maps, mm-hmm. like playing playing Merps, um, uh, Yeah, I just kind of became more and more wedded. To uh, great map making, yeah, Middle Earth role playing game. That was one of my uh, my first yeah. uh, first games too. I love I loved their crit fail uh, tables. Mm. I see. I I, sw- I got like two Merp books, and then very quickly switched over to just sort of generic role master. Um, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. what Merp was based off of, right? So, but yeah, yeah. I, I just remember I remember having the uh, minds. Of, I think it was the minds of Mor- Moria um, set. From uh, Merps and mm. uh, just being—I th- I think, if, if my memory serves me correctly—but um, just being so enthralled by the uh, the tone and the atmosphere mm-hmm. and the maps and um, sort of delving into that world. I think, I think, yeah, I've I've been hooked since I was a kid mm-hmm. on uh, fantasy storytelling and that sort of epic um, adventure format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I remember I had the, there was an old, there was a book for Merp that was, 
it was like the something about the north, but it was like the mountains to the far north of like mm. Dale and Lonely Mountain, and so it was kind of like where the dragons are from and all that. Yeah, uh, and there was a. I, I still went back to that map years later. I pulled out that book and used that dungeon map of the the uh, you know long abandoned dwarven fortress or whatever now now run by a or overrun by a dragon. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I pulled that out for years and and used it over and over again in D and D campaigns and stuff. So. Oh, it's a fantastic site. I mean, it's yeah. classic fantasy literature right there. Yeah. Oh, and the and the game took you into parts of the world that the main stories never really explored. So you got a much richer understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When I, speaking of uh, Lord, of, speaking of Lord of the Rings, when um, when I was working at the Cipher, one of the bonuses to uh, to working for that company is that when the uh, Lord of the Rings uh, movies were first coming out, we would get the full we well we would get a lot of uh, video and still mm. footage uh, resources well before they came out in theaters so there were a lot of really tight uh nda agreements to sign but um getting getting previews of all the uh weta stuff that was coming out uh, that's cool before, was absolutely fantastic yeah <laughs> so that's, much fun that's awesome yeah all right uh, so if you had one bit of advice to give the gaming community, what bit of advice would you give them? One bit of advice, um, tell great stories. Tell great stories around the table that your friends will remember until you know the day they die. Um, that, that's really broad. How do you do that? <laughs> well, if so when... The thing that not the thing that bothers me, but the thing that I would encourage GMs to do is to not try and railroad someone into a story, but try and speak or try and let the story develop as contemporaneously as possible. So when folks want to explore something, like take some, uh, I don't know, the idea of just sort of riffing idea, uh, riffing storytelling off the cuff as you know, with a general framework in mind but um like watching how stand-up uh comedians or um storytellers will um just uh, speak contemporaneously or uh speak free you know let their stories flow freely um that you know in addition to planning out a real i mean you can plan a campaign you can plan a game as you know till you're blue in the face but you know the player's always going to ask something or want to go in a direction that you didn't necessarily plan for and to be able to allow that to happen and to weave the story or weave that decision making into the story so that you're still following the uh the storyline and there's still a cohesive plot but the actions and the choices that the um the player makes are able to expand on that in ways that you may not expect at you know the beginning of the campaign that's where that's where some of the best experiences that i remember having as a player came from um you know when i was uh, in the campaigns that i played in the past it's the weird shit that we come up with and that the GM is able to sort of weave into that broader narrative that results in some of the, some of the most memorable moments in, uh, in those games, you know? Okay. Um, 
because honestly, the thing about the thing about tabletop role playing to me is that it is. I mean, each person that comes to the table brings their own subjective view of how that story's unfolding. And you've got a DM that's there to keep that sort of in a general framework, but to allow however many players they've got at the tables, um, decision making and storytelling of their own. Like if you can encourage that to build your framework into something greater than you could have ever imagined, um, that's those are the game nights that I uh, that really stick with me as far as you know looking back at uh, at my experiences playing D anD D or playing other role playing games. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just the DM that's telling the story. You know, it's everybody around the table that's adding to the story mm-hmm. that the DM sort of set out. So um, that so that's one thing that people can do to make their games better. Now I want to take the the concept and flip it around a little bit. Mm-hmm. What is one thing that you can do through gaming to make the world a better place? How can we use gaming? What's one thing we can do to make use gaming to make the world a better place? Uh, the the first thing that came to my head was to spend time. If you've got kids, mm. spend time gaming with your kids or with your family, mm-hmm. um, because it, just the process of that interaction. I mean, I some of some of the best uh, best times with some of the best friends I've ever had was over a six you know five six hour weekly gaming session mm-hmm. you know and to be able to build those kinds of bonds i mean who better to build those bonds with than your family if you know your family wants to play um and i've had numerous folks talk to me recently about that they and their kids and their wives playing D together with their friends um and those kinds of relationships and those kinds of bonds, I don't care you know, who you are or where you are. Um, if you want to affect the world, you know, have good relationships with your family, friends, and children. And you know, that's something you can directly affect the world by. You, mm-hmm. make, you, know, you make people's experiences better and more enjoyable. And you know, they're going to treat the people around them more you know, more. So you're going to get that game going in, in New Jersey, and you're going to bring your wife with you, right? Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's easier said than done. Yeah, whether she likes it or not, darn it. You're so, coming with me. So uh, we've, we've followed your journey uh, through D&D. We've followed your journey through art. Uh, what are you doing lately? What's your, what's your current project? So my current project is, well, I'm working on Schleiscapes. Um, essentially... I have taken I've taken what I really enjoy, which is map making, illustration, and storytelling, and developed um, system independent uh, PDF uh, PDFs essentially that create encapsul- uh, encapsulated encounters that allow you the, the GM to either pulled directly from the story seeds that I include, for instance, or, you know, leave out the story seeds if you want. But you you can use the maps. Um, you can print off the maps at home uh, if you want to. Um, I also include large format poster versions of the maps for printing through um, large format printers or through a uh, local print shop. Um, they're all high res. At least the print versions are 300 DPI. 
at uh, one a true one inch uh, square, you know, one inch to five foot square uh, ratio. So you don't have to resize them. Um, they're ready to go to print. Um, but in addition to the maps and the artwork um, and the story seeds, I'm also including um, versions that are optimized for virtual tabletop use. Mm -hmm. So that essentially means that um, uh, they're they're designed to be used easily in programs like Fantasy Grounds or uh, Roll20. Without any problem, you can just import them directly in as either uh, as JPEGs, um, essentially. But one of the one of the unique features about Schleiscapes about the maps is that so you get, for instance, the poster map of um, Episode One's location area, uh, encounter area, which is called the Forlorn Cottage. It's a traditional cottage scene, but in you know beautiful detail, in my opinion. But you see the cottage from an aerial perspective, from straight down. Um, so you've got the roof layer there that's a playable encounter surface. So, I mean, you can fight on the roof if you want. But the thing that I really wanted to focus on was having multiple layers of um, battle surfaces or multiple layers of exploration within a single map. So in addition to the roof layer, um, I've also got separate, uh, they're called discovery tiles, but essentially they're separate tiles that you can lay over top of the map as you explore it. So when you go in the front door, there's a separate tile for the living room. Uh, progress through to the kitchen. There's another, uh, there's the kitchen tile. Um, so as essentially it's a fog of war mechanic that's um, much easier to manage than putting a cloth or sheets of black paper down and still gives you um, really rich, detailed um, artwork on each layer of those tiles. So uh, you can either lay the tiles down directly on the map, or you can set the tiles to the side if you've got, you know, your rogue on the roof, and the um, the fighters coming in through the uh, through the front door. You can still have encounter action on both in both areas on you know high quality, great looking artwork. Um, the same thing goes for uh, when you discover secret rooms. I don't want you to know, you know, I, well, I don't want the player to know that there's a secret room there until the DM lays down the tile. Um, if they've done a uh, check for secret doors mm -hmm. uh, roll or um, if they've stumbled into something, you know, if there's a um, burrow hole in the side of a uh, cliff, I want to be able, I want the, D, the GM to be able to instantly lay down a tile or instantly modify the map with um, materials that they can print out at home for cheaply or for cheap. <clears throat> or if they really like the artwork, they can invest a little more in and print them out as, you know, high, high res posters. Or um, in the Kickstarter that I've got over uh, Schleiscapes episode one. Um, I'm also offering waterproof um, vinyl mm -hmm. versions of the battle map, battle map that you can use wet erase markers on and erase immediately so you can make notations on the map. Or, you know, in the <clears throat> in the PDF, I gave you permission to edit those maps. As long as you don't republish them or redistribute them, mm -hmm. um, I wanted players to be able to use and edit and do with the maps whatever they need to to make their game more enjoyable. 
Um, so play with them, have fun with them, and you know tell great stories with them. Um, that's also why I'm I'm cutting pretty much all the elements from the map into PNG uh, resource files to go along with it for um, an extra. I think it's an extra five bucks for the PNG PNG tiles, but. Essentially, what I'm doing is all of the artwork from the uh, from the map. I'm creating tokens for so that you can use either in your own uh, map making programs or again, you know, fantasy grounds if you want to populate your own maps with um, chairs or bushes or you know, um, objects from the ma- the Schleiscapes map. Right. So. Yeah, and, and, so, and so, so you are kickstarting that right now. You should really probably yeah. have that li- uh, link on, linked on your website. Um, it, yeah, it's in my, <laughs> it's in my, it's in my, uh, it's in my shop. Um, I haven't had a chance to put it on the Mike Schley page, oh, okay. um, but it's at myprince.mikeschley.com. Prince.mikeschley.com. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, then, yeah, then it's right go, on you, front. The Forlorn Cottage is your is your episode one, and it's got the the link for it there. Yep, yep, yep. Um, if you go to Mike, uh, if you go to MikeSchley.com, just click shop and you can see it. There you go. And Very good. A link to Kickstarter. Page. I just want to make sure people can find it easily. So yes, yeah. Uh, as soon as we get on, as soon as we uh, cut this off, I'm going to put that link on the. There you go. <laughs> in my cool. page. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Very good. So um, where'd I go? Um, very good. Yeah, yeah. So, so hopefully people will check that out. Uh, check out your Kickstarter. You're also you've posted it on on uh, your Facebook page and whatever as well. And we'll give you a chance to let people know where mm-hmm. else they can sort of reach out to find you. Um, but that's yeah. definitely something that people should check out. You say it's episode one. How many episodes do you sort of have envisioned for this project? Um, well, I I would like it to be well this in conjunction with another um, another graphic novel project that I've got in works. Um, these are both part of a larger universe and our larger uh, story that I'm developing. Are um, they part of the same universe? Yes. Oh, okay. But they're different aspects of it. Um, mm-hmm. So whereas this is more sort of geared towards functional um, storytelling in a game mechanic primarily oriented fashion, um, and I don't want to release the name of the next project, the next big project, but... Sure. There's also a more um, narrative-focused uh, graphic novel that also that will also include maps and location uh, information. So if, imagine a graphic novel that comes along with um, location artwork and maps um, and utilizable resources that can be either pulled into your own campaign or played as a campaign on its own. Um, that's something that I've got in the works as well. So basically Schleiscapes is the initial foray into a multi-decade, if I have my way, uh, <laughs> scope project. You're doing this for, for the rest of your life, huh? I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, have a problem I with that. But any other way, if I get <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, uh, hopefully people go and check that out. Uh, we're going to mm. pop right back in a second here to go through the lightning round and see if you can beat the current best time. Uh, but first, I want to remind people that if they want to support the show, they can go over to easyrollerdice.com. 
They've got some fantastic dice. They're easily my favorite dice company, uh, and I'm super glad that they decided to sponsor the show because it gave me an opportunity to find out more about them. Uh, if you want to up your dice game, check them out and use the coupon code T-O-M-E. That's the coupon code TOME for 15% off the regular price. Like dice? Need more dice? Check out EasyRollerDice.com for amazing dice, including their gunmetal and rose gold collections. When you visit, make sure to use coupon code TOME, that's T-O-M-E, at checkout and save 15% immediately. Again, go to EasyRollerDice.com and use code TOME at checkout and save 15% and snag yourself some great dice and gaming accessories. You can also support us by shopping at Amazon and DMs Guild and using the links from thetomeshow.com to do that or becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow where you'll get early peeks into what we're up to uh, and help guide the future episodes. Now, Mike Schley, it's time for the lightning round. All right. I'm, I'm, gonna I'm gonna give you 20 questions. You're gonna answer them as quickly as you can in an effort to provide both satisfying answers and beat the current record holder. Uh, the current record holder is another Mike. Mike Shea has the, cur uh, has the current record of five minutes and 15 seconds. Uh, okay. All right, 20 questions. No pressure, huh? No pressure, <laughs> but we have really high expectations. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, ready? Yeah. Question one, do you prefer to DM or play? I prefer to play, absolutely. Okay. What DM is too much freaking work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've already got enough work on my plate as it is. Awesome. Two, what was your first RPG? My first RPG was Dungeons and & Dragons. Uh, and that was Redbox. Redbox, yeah? Yeah, early 80s. Very good. Uh, three, name the person who introduced you to RPGs. Oh, crap. Uh Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> um, the, the first person who introduced me to RPGs was, uh, I can't, uh, I can't remember their, their name. I mean, it was essentially me going into the store and saying, Hey, what, what is this? Cause I was looking for mm. comic books and, um, uh, friends, you know, just school age friends of mine saying, Hey, this, you know, it's a lot of fun. Um, I remember uh, Wayne, uh, a friend of mine, Wayne, was my first DM, but he was the same age as I, as I yeah. was when we discovered it at the same time. All right. Number four, create the title of a book that is on a mad wizard's shelf. Ooh. Um, let's see. Spider Bear Milking 101. The spider bear that is featured in your, your Schleyscapes, or Schleyscapes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, five, name a game or adventure you haven't played but want to. Mm, a game or adventure that I haven't played but want to. Um, Dark Souls. What's Dark Souls? Uh, it's a um, uh, computer game. Uh, the, mm. the, I mean, most of the, uh, I guess most of the, most of the games that I want to play are the kind of games that I haven't had a chance to play. Um, so they're typically games I know very little about. <laughs> sure. Honestly. That makes sense. All right. Six, the last game product you bought. The last game product I bought 
Oh God, this is going to be embarrassing. Um, I had to buy. I had to pick up a copy of um, Storm King's Thunder mm-hmm. because I didn't act like they used artwork from previous uh, projects I'd worked on. Mm-hmm. So I I didn't get a contributor copy for that. Um, whereas I usually get contributor copies for all all the books go. I work on, um, and I needed to add it to my collection. There so. you go. Uh, eight. Oh, I'm sorry. Seven. Make up an NPC name. Oh, uh, Sludge McDougal. Eight. Name of a PC you've played. Oh, um, the most recent PC I played was uh, Baracus. He was a um, cleric. Very good. Um, nine. What is your favorite house rule? Uh, let's see. Um, favorite house rule. Uh, no drinks on, on top of the... Um, no, no drinks on top of the pool table fell. Okay. Um, a 10. What, how long are your game sessions when you had game sessions regularly? Um, usually they were between four and six hours at minimum. Okay. 11. The name of a fantasy tavern? Oh, uh, Green, uh, Green Dragon. Okay. 12. Uh, a source of inspiration that has influenced your game. A source of inspiration that's influenced my game. Um, offhand, uh, Lord of the Rings. Okay. Uh, and you've talked extensively about that, so I don't need to go into yeah, more yeah. details. <laughs> so, uh, thir- oh, oh, wait, can I change my Yeah. Can, can I change it? Um, so it, there's, a, uh, there's a book series um, that's uh, called the, uh, the Border Trilogy, um, spotlight by Cormac McCarthy. Um, he also wrote The Road. Um, which was turned into a movie. He wrote um, he wrote the uh, story behind um, No Country for Old Men, mm. but his Border Trilogy. It's a three part series that starts with um, all the pretty horses, and it's set on the border between uh, uh, Mexico and Texas in the 1930s, 40s, early part of the 20th century, and it's an absolutely epic, um, really wonderful. Uh, Sort of coming of age, growth, hardship, um, no, a series of novels. I mean, it's it's great storytelling in mm-hmm. that epic um, on the road kind of format. Okay, thirteen. The best race class combination. Oh, uh, the best race class combination. I would say um, uh, gnomish. Um, uh, no more sorcerer. Okay. That was always fun. 14, best alignment. Best alignment, uh, chaotic good. Chaotic good, okay. 15, uh, experience points or automatic leveling? Um, experience points. Okay. 16, best way to determine stats. Oh, ex- leveling. oh, oh. Leveling. I'd kind of leave that up to the GM. I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm killing my timing, but I'm thinking more about the, <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> the actual answers. Very good. So you, so you don't care whether it's experience points or, or milestone sort of leveling? As... I, I, would like, I would like experience points to be, part of the, uh, be a factor in it, but I would really prefer it to be up to the GM's discretion rather than a numeric system. Because mm-hmm. if, there's, if the player does something or thinks of something really incredible that adds to the game, they should be rewarded for that in a way that's um, more measurable. Respons- yeah, more yeah. measurable and more responsive than a simple number system. Mm-hmm. Although those numbers need to be followed. Like if somebody's you know putting in the work, they need to be rewarded for that. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Best way to determine stats? Best way to determine stats? Uh, roll of the die. You know, multiple rolls of the dice. Pick the uh, pick the best one. Uh, how many? How many dice? Oh. Um, uh, Are you talking just three d six or the forty six method or what do you think? I want to say forty six and drop um, drop the low. Yeah. Okay. Uh, make up an elven curse. An elven curse. Um, your may your testicles grow to the size of barrels. Okay. Uh, Eighteen. Your favorite game book. My favorite game book. Um, the sorcery game books. They were uh, choose your own adventure uh, books that I had the uh, good fortune to work on a mobile version of for um, I for. Android and uh, Mac operating systems recently, mm-hmm. and there was so much fun when I was a kid. The fact that I had played them as, you know, I read the books as a kid, and then was approached by uh, Inkle Games to do the maps and artwork, <clears throat> cutaway artwork for uh, a new edition that was incredibly fun. That was that was absolutely absolutely fantastic. Cool. Nineteen. Should there be devices at the table? Devices. What kind of devices do you mean? I mean, do phones, you iPads, laptops. You know, what was that? Phones, iPads, laptops. I got oh. a, I got a player who pulls out his Game Boy every now and then. So. Um, if they are, if they're directly related, no. Well, see, the problem is, um, well, obviously, if they become a distraction and they're not, you know, not paying attention to the game, that's one thing. Um, another thing, like they, they could be as useful as pen and paper and mm-hmm. the, um, you know, their great notation and reference material. Like I used to bring my iPad to the games all the time <clears throat> just so that I didn't have to drag my books around with me, mm-hmm. you know, everywhere I went. Um, but yeah, if they're a distraction, get rid of them. Okay. 20. Tell us a story from your game table. Oh, a story from my game table was, uh, I I wound up with about five pounds of garlic in my backpack, but it was invisible and I couldn't tell where the hell it was coming from. And wound up um, well, your, your backpack was invisible, or the garlic was? No, no, no the garlic was. <laughs> the garlic was invisible, but I you know I spent way too much time uh, essentially on a uh, wild goose chase trying to figure out you know where the hell the uh, where the hell the smell was coming from <laughs> where, where did this invisible garlic come from <laughs> yeah that's a story that i'll i'll uh, save for another okay. time one of the uh, one of the other players at the uh, at the table was uh, a real a real smart ass but a wonderful smart ass <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're gonna stop your time. Uh, so, so your in time is, is respectable. Um, it may be our <laughs> longest lightning round yet, but it was uh, <laughs> it was a fun lightning round. Nine minutes and fifteen seconds. Hey, there you go. I get <laughs> so, the prize. There you go. Uh, that was fun. Uh, hey, thanks for being on the show. Uh, if people want to find out more about Mike Schley, where should they go? Go to Prince P R I N T S dot Mike Schley dot com. Uh, my name's spelled M-I-K-E-S-C-H-L-E-Y. If you go to MikeSchley.com, I'll have the link up in just a few minutes. But um, if you just Google Mike Schley, you'll find me mm-hmm. anywhere you go. So. And, and Twitter, Facebook, any any place yeah. like yeah, that? Yeah, I got a, I've got a Twitter uh, Twitter account. It's at Schley, S-C-H-L-E-Y. 
Um, I've got a Facebook uh, account, Mike Shalai Illustration and Design. Um, I've got an, oh, I've got an Instagram account um, that I just created for Schleiscapes. It's a trailer. It's an interactive trailer mm -hmm. for episode one that essentially allows, I set up an Instagram account that allows you to explore the maps and discover new areas of the maps um, as, a, as a playable Instagram game. Um, so if you go to Schleiscapes um, on Instagram, then uh, you'll find it. There you go. Very good. All right. Well, I want to thank Mike for joining us. I also want to thank our sponsor, EasyRollerDice.com. I want to thank our patrons over at Patreon.com slash The Tome Show. They get a first peek at what we're working on. Uh, patrons like Stephen Robertson, Robert Aducci, Matt Bible, Doug Palmer, and Mark. Uh, and, of course, I want to thank everyone who heads over to TheTomeShow.com and clicks on the links for Amazon and DMs Guild. When, when you do that, you get the same experience, but we get a few coppers in our purse. Uh, if you would like to reach out to me, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can tweet me. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. You can tweet the show. That is at the Tome Show, uh, which also goes to me. Uh, or you can call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. This has been Gamer to Gamer with Mike Schley, because sometimes you have to get out from behind the DM screen and meet people. I'm on the wall.